So welcome. Uh, this is this event is one of an occasional series uh, about Algeria and the Maghreb, which um, the Society for Algerian Studies and the <coughs> Middle East Centre of the LSE present jointly. Um, and if anyone in the audience is interested in joining the Society for Algerian Studies, uh, please let me know and you'll be most welcome. My name is Bill Sinton, I'm the President of the Society and uh, I have lived in Algeria altogether for six years and have always thought it was a fascinating country. Um, these are now dramatic days in Algeria Against the longer perspective, it'll soon be 60 years <coughs> since independence in 1962. And over that period, Algeria has constructed, has built a most distinctive nation which famously uh, does things its own way. And for most of the time, it's been peaceful and secure with the exception, obviously, of the tragic conflict in the 1990s. And since independence, I think it's fair to say there have been um, twin pillars of the state, one political and one economic. The political one um, has been that power has remained in the hands of those who one independence and of their heirs and that the army has generally um, been the arbiter and we've seen that confirmed recently with the role of General Qaid Salah in recent events. Economically Algeria depends on oil and gas revenues which are allocated by the state as it sees fit and from which those in power have also benefited. It's also fair to say I think that uh, um, reliance on oil and gas has inhibited the development of other sectors of the economy. Um, against that broad political and economic framework there have been some important turning points along the way. Uh, for example, when Wari Boumediene took power in 1965, after his death in 1979, when the elections were cancelled in 1990, and when the conflict wound down in 1999, when um, Abdelaziz Bouteflika became president. As it happened, I returned to Algeria in 1999, and I must admit, at that time, I did not foresee that uh, Bouteflika would remain president for 20 years. Um, when we were planning uh, this meeting, um, we thought that it would take stock of Algeria after the elections due in April. And on that basis, um, we expected Professor Amar Belimer, the University of Algiers, uh, to take part in this uh, in this 
discussion and to give us the perspective, the view from Algiers. Uh, he has now regretfully told us that in view of the turmoil at present in Algeria, he feels he, um, he cannot travel to London, but we hope that he will uh, come later in the year and, uh, and give a talk um, jointly with the MEC. Uh, we are fortunate, however, to have as our speaker today Professor Hugh Roberts of the Tufts University in Medford, Massachusetts. Hugh is an old friend of Algeria, to which he has devoted most of his distinguished academic career, and about which he has published several books. Um, before Tufts, uh, Hugh had spells at universities including East Anglia, uh, Sussex, California, Berkeley, uh, SOAS, and here at the LSE. Uh, he was also, for some years, the North Africa Project Director of the International Crisis Center based in Cairo. Most importantly, from our point of view, Hugh Roberts was also the founder of the Society for Algerian Studies, and he continues to play an active part in its work. Um, after Hugh's talk, you'll have the opportunity to ask questions. Uh, meanwhile, we now look to Hugh to analyse recent events for us, and I hope tell us what's going to happen next, although we all recognise that uh, prediction is difficult especially about the future. So, Hugh, you have the floor. Thank you very much. <coughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm going to uh, say quite a lot about the popular movement that's been um, uh, active in Algeria since mid-February, and then uh, consider the difficulties that, uh, that exist in the way of a, an effective resolution uh, of the situation. Uh, I, since I can see there are Algerians in the audience, I don't suppose I will be telling you anything you don't know, uh, since I would expect you to have been glued to your, uh, well, your social media and, and so on for many weeks now. Um, but this society uh, was founded with, amongst other purposes, um, the ambition to um, provide an information function for Briti interested British opinion. And given that there isn't really uh, a developed British tradition of um, interest in Algeria and studying Algeria, uh, we've always had the ambition of, of um, doing what we can to compensate for that lack. So I'm going to be uh, telling the Algerians in the audience of what you already know, but I hope telling other people something that they may not fully uh, have grasped as yet. Um, the immediate problem that um, has given rise to the uh, movement of, of protest and the unrest uh, in Algeria arose out of the illness of President Abdelaziz Bouteflika, uh, which uh, an illness that dated from um, 2013 when he had a serious stroke. This did not prevent him from being a candidate for a fourth term, uh, but as you can see, he was already in some degree an invalid. 
uh, and he didn't actually campaign at all uh, in 2014. Uh, and this was something that, um, that in a sense, uh, got through at the time, but I think became more and more uh, uh, a controversial issue in Algeria subsequently. And the idea that he would be seeking a fifth term um, when clearly uh, incapacitated and certainly widely perceived to be fully incapacitated was something that triggered uh, the protest movement um, and um, uh, on, the, on grounds that uh, the, a fifth term was uh, an affront to Algerian public opinion um, and um, an outrage, a violation of the constitution, which it was, uh, and making Algeria the laughingstock of the world. There was a, um, a, a range of pithy uh, comments uh, being made by uh, spokesmen, spokespeople for the, the protest movement about how absurd and wrong the fifth term option was. Um, it, the, the movement, which calls itself the Herak, um, uh, uh, began as a, a movement to negate the fifth term when President Bouteflika um, uh, backpedaled and said, okay, I won't uh, be, run for a fifth term, but I will extend my fourth term for, the, for a, um, an indefinite period. Uh, well, he actually uh, suggested it wouldn't be more than a year, and the, that was linked to the idea of his overseeing um, a necessary conference on constitutional <coughs> change in that period. This was um, refused uh, as um, uh, basically because the president um, did not have the, uh, the confidence of public opinion any longer. Um, uh, an important element of the terms in which public opinion has been expressing itself is the sense of shame, uh, the sense of affront, the sense of outrage, uh, and so forth. Um, I see this very much in terms of a, of a much older tradition that is, isn't purely Algerian, it's a tradition of the Maghreb, uh, of um, periodical revolts against the perceived decadence of regimes. This is a tradition that, as Ali over there knows, uh, is an old Moroccan tradition, going back to the Almoravids at least, um, but you could say also to the Fatimids in Algeria. Um, the point is that the the Bouteflika presidency was not at all unpopular in its first two terms. Um, he was seen as having been a rather successful president, and he was actually fairly popular. Uh, and when in um, movements uh, attacking autocrats elsewhere in the region began in 2011, uh, there was no real sign of such a movement in Algeria, in part because Bouteflika was not unpopular. He was seen as having been a fairly effective president in his first two terms. But since um, his third term, and particularly since the fourth as an incapacitated president, uh, his presidency has been visibly decadent uh, and no longer having any particular raison d'etre and increasingly besmirched with scandals uh, and uh, seen as in effect uh, amounting to a privatization of the presidency of the republic insofar as given his incapacity, uh, the presidency has been uh, understood to be being run effectively by his brother, Said Bouteflika. Other brothers, there are several Bouteflika brothers, may have also been having a hand in it. And this was um, re resented because, of course, none of the brothers had uh, any constitutional authority, whatever, uh, to exercise presidential functions. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's wrong to focus simply on the decadence of the Bouteflika presidency. I would argue that um, the, uh, and certainly a premise of the, the fact that the popular movement is still going 
is still making an issue, uh, given that Bouteflika has now gone. Bouteflika has uh, finally resigned, um, but the popular movement isn't uh, satisfied with that. It's making a, a much wider and deeper protest against uh, the way Algeria has been governed. Um, and I think that uh, a premise of this is the, 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 the opinion that the formula introduced in 1962 at the end of the War of Liberation has run its course completely and has become decadent. The, the decadence applies um, to, not only to the Bouteflika presidency, but to the formula, including the way it was revamped in 1989, allowing for a certain pluralism. Um, this is no longer taken seriously by public opinion. Um, and so we're hearing, uh, after the initial demands, no fifth term, we're now seeing the demand for an end to the system. Uh, and this demand is very problematic, an end to the refusal of a fifth term, that's very precise, everybody knows what it means. What does uh, the end or the departure of the system mean? Um, there is no clarity about that at all. Um, this is a situation that has involved um, important dilemmas for the army commanders. Uh, and I'm going to say quite a lot about this. Um, the, um, uh, the army uh, commanders uh, are now very much in front, front uh, stage center, particularly the chief of staff, uh, Deputy Minister of Defense uh, Ahmed Gaid Salah. Uh, they're now very much in the front line. The, the army has in the past preferred to be the power behind the throne. Well, the throne is empty. Uh, and um, although there is an inter interim head of state, a civilian, um, Abdelkader Ben Salah, he's not perceived as having any real authority in the situation um, where, the, where political issues are concerned. Um, and it is Gaid Salah who, whether he likes it or not, is really on, uh, on the spot. And um, I think the army commanders have faced real dilemmas. Um, and there is a problem in the relationship between the position they've taken and the outlook of the popular movement. And I think that's, that is something I wish to discuss. Whether there will be time for me to talk about the international dimension and the external parameters, I'm not sure. Uh, but certainly we have plenty of time for questions, question and answers afterwards, and we can get to that. Um, let me just, for, for those of you who haven't been following it day by day, uh, give you some idea about the Hirak. It has been an, ex an absolutely remarkable uh, protest movement. Um, Bouteflika announces on the 10th of February that he is running for a fifth term. Small-scale protests begin in several medium-sized small towns in the provinces uh, in the next few days, in Aindefle, in Schleff, in Borsbuararic, uh, in eastern Algeria. Uh, the first big demonstration is in another provincial town, Harata, in Lesser Kabylia. And then on February the 22nd, uh, everywhere, uh, witnesses mass demonstrations. And this is Anaba uh, on the coast uh, of, of uh, eastern Algeria. Uh, this is uh, Algiers uh, a week later. Uh, what happens is that these demonstrations um, become a kind of drumbeat every Friday. Uh, and today is the, is the 11th Friday in a row of successive um, mass demonstrations across the country. I want to give you some idea of the dimensions. This is central Algiers on the March the 8th, uh, near the central faculty buildings. Uh, this is the same day, um, um, witnesses are cheering, uh, the demonstrators in the streets. 
this is a week later, roughly the same place, um, mass demonstrations. It's not only Algiers. Um, this is El Wed in the northeastern Sahara. You would think a, a long, long way away. Um, one would have thought that uh, the people of Belwed might well not have noticed what was going on or given a damn about what was going on in Algiers. Far from it, they're having their Iraq too. Um, here's Algiers on the 29th of March, Iran the same day. I couldn't find a better picture. I'm sure there are better pictures of Iran than that, but that's not a bad one. Here's Medea, the old capital of central Algeria in the Ottoman uh, era, uh, on that same day, March the 29th. And here's Borj Buararic again. And the ex this is a demonstration of extraordinary size and density. And I'm only giving you the images. I'm unable to give you the sound. But the sound um, is, uh, if anything, even more impressive, um, with bands and singing of the national anthem uh, and conveying a tremendous power uh, of, of this movement. Jijel, on the coast of eastern Algeria, on the, on the 19th of April. Algiers, the same day. Bejaya in Kabylia, on the coast again, the same day. Algiers, I couldn't get a date for this, but it, once again, it's one of my favorite images. It really, it, I think, conveys the, the density and mass of these demonstrations. Um, I want to say something about uh, the, if you like, the, the, the sociology, the anthropology, the moral content of, of these protests. Um, it's basically about negating something, condemning something, refusing something. And as such, it's very much part of an old tradition that's summed up in this um, perhaps typically Algerian mixed French and Arabic uh, expression or, or, or proverb, garde le mim et le mim te gardera, the mim being the letter M in Arabic, and this uh, proverb meaning preserve your capacity to say no, and your capacity to say no will preserve you. And this, it seems to me, I certainly like to think that this goes back to the old days of the Ottoman era uh, when a good deal of Algeria consisted of villages and tribes that had an uneasy relationship with the Ottoman Regency and resisted its attempts at any rate to tax them uh, uh, or dragoon them in other ways. Um, there is this uh, tradition of refusing, of rebelling and refusing. We see this during the war, of course, particularly in the uh, remarkable demonstrations of December 1960 uh, that are so well portrayed in uh, Pontecorvo's The Battle of Algiers, um, which were mixed men and women. Um, we see it again in August 1962 when uh, the people of Algiers intervened to stop a faction fight between rival factions of the victorious FLN. We see it in 1980 in the unrest, the, the demonstrations in the Kabylia region, Algeria's main Berber region, um, provoked by the arrest of Kabylia's most distinguished intellectual. So reacting to an affront. Uh, this is a constant theme of this tradition, a reaction to an affront, uh, um, a reaction to a provocation to an insult. In this case, the arrest of Mamre, uh, but more generally, the regime's unwillingness at that point to recognize uh, the uh, Amazir, that's to say Berber dimension of the Algerian identity, um, a, um, a problem that the regime has since long since corrected. It, it has um, been recognizing this explicitly for, for a long time. Um, so we have these, this tradition, um, which culminated uh, in some respects in the riots of, of October 1988, nationwide riots that were very destructive. Um, and what is interesting about the movement that has developed is how constructive it is, how peaceful, 
uh, how dignified, how orderly, how disciplined it is. There is a partial precedent for it in a demonstrations that took place in, in Kabylia in 2001, um, in marked contrast to the angry, aggressive, destructive riots of 88, uh, the, the Balak March in Tizuzu in 2001 was, uh, was totally peaceful uh, and dignified and combined men and women, um, whereas the riots of October 88 were exclusively uh, male um, young, young men between the ages of, say, 12 and 22. Um, okay, we had a reprise of those angry riots in January 2011, but that, that went nowhere, it was politically aimless. Um, and the tradition of crowd action has been continuing uh, at the local level for the last 19 years, um, uh, where crowds have been, where, where local communities have been taking direct action, not rioting so much as uh, making a nuisance of themselves in a rather uh, carefully thought out way to catch the attention of the local authorities uh, over issues such as why aren't, you, why aren't you repairing the road to our village or why aren't you supplying us with, with gas or electricity. Uh, in other words, uh, it's been an attention-catching tactic that has actually worked for the most part, um, but has also expressed the population's complete detachment from the formal political system that the regime has concocted. In particular, it's ex expressed uh, the population's disenchantment with the very limited and rather phony party political pluralism that the regime introduced in 1989. Um, because of the, their experience of the political parties as uh, failing to provide effective representation. Okay, this was uh, the uh, March into his user, and as you can see from the banner, it's already uh, making an issue uh, of um, long before the Arab Spring, 10 years before the Arab Spring, it's making an issue of the dignity uh, of uh, ordinary Algerians, it's demanding the substance of citizenship. Um, and that is, in, in that respect, it's a, re a precursor uh, of the Hirak. A very striking feature of the Hirak in Algeria since February has been the participation of women. And here you see a, a woman magistrate um, making the point about no fifth term, um, the fifth term scenario. Uh, here you see um, another woman uh, helping uh, a, f a very striking feature of the demonstrations was the way they were deliberately sought to disarm the forces, uh, the security forces. Um, the slogans of the marches from the beginning were Salmiya, Salmiya, meaning peaceful, peaceful. Shab wa shorta khawa khawa, wa shab khawa khawa, that means people and the, and the police are brothers, brothers. Army and people, brothers, brothers. This was in deliberately uh, very intelligently seeking to disarm, making it psychologically difficult, if not impossible, for the police or other security forces to engage in repression, even if in order to do so. Um, and it, it puts, in a way, the regime on the back foot in that respect, very effectively. Uh, and women have been crucial to that. Their participation, of course, in itself constitutes an, uh, an inhibition. Uh, where repression is concerned. You can see, moreover, the inventiveness of the movement. These young women are wearing t-shirts specially made for the occasion. Um, the Arabic says Selmiya, and then no to a fifth term uh, at the bottom. So these are deliberately uh, made um, for the occasion of this demonstration. And you can see all the women behind them. And this has been uh, 
a, a very significant feature uh, of the of the demonstrations. And uh, not only young women and magistrates, but also their mothers. I, I particularly like this uh, this image. Uh, I wonder whether anyone knows what it means. Perhaps I should. I'll have a go at explaining it. Dertulna means. You have done this to us. And the question is, what is the this? And the this is striptiz detta. And what that actually means, I mean, she's got a big grin on her face. I find this image particularly engaging. But what, she is at, what the slogan is saying is, you have, uh, you have uh, humiliated our state by stripping it naked. Uh, you have um, um, virtually destroyed our state. And that's an important point about the outlook uh, of the movement, because it is... In a sense, the people coming to the defense of the state, uh, seeking to salvage, rescue the state from uh, a political elite that has become decadent and has been making a, a really unacceptable mess of things. Um, and in particular, a watchword of the demonstration uh, in this early part was respect for the Constitution. The point being that the fifth term was totally unconstitutional. It was unconstitutional from several points of view. First of all, the Constitution does not allow an incapacitated president to remain in office. And as was Article 102 of the Constitution provided for the procedure to be followed when the president is incapacitated. And that article simply wasn't um, implemented. Um, it was overridden. It was overridden because for it, it to be implemented, the Constitutional Council has to address uh, the fact of the president's incapacity and make a judgment about that and either say, well, no, he's actually all right or he's going to get better, or yes, he is, he is incapacitated, in which case Article 102 kicks in at that point and provides for what is to be done. Well, the, Pre the Constitutional Council never met to discuss the matter and it didn't meet to discuss the matter because it was stuffed by Bouteflika's appointees uh, and people were aware of this. So um, the failure to deal with this incapacity was already a violation. Um, in addition, for him to run for a fifth term on top of the fourth, well, this was really la goutte qui a fait déborder la vase. This was really more than the last straw. Um, but the point is also that in the meantime, during the fourth term, as if there wasn't enough for the Algerian people to feel uh, outraged about, a, a constitutional revision occurred in 2016 saying that the, the president may only be re-elected once, re reducing the president, presidential terms to a two, re, in, other, in, in effect, restoring term limits that had been there in the 1996 constitution and then been lifted so that Bouteflika could, could in effect be a president for life. Uh, so this was all too much and the people are an important point about the demonstration uh, was its ability to seize the moral initiative in relation to the regime uh, by uh, making an issue of the constitution that the regime uh, was visibly uh, playing fast and loose with. Um, and a more general concern was also, and here you can see non à l'opposition fantoche, this is a rejection of the pseudo-pluralism and the ineffectual, um, more or less phony opposition parties that pseudo-pluralism uh, had populated the Algerian political landscape with. And on the right-hand side, we see la révolution par le peuple et pour le peuple. And this is the old slogan of the historic wartime FLN of 54-62. And this has been a feature of the Hirak as well. Um, the, uh, I've, I've really already said this, but the point is that it has been national in scale and scope. 
It has transcended the fault lines between regions, west, east, center, south, between the linguistic fault lines, between Berber speakers and Arabic speakers. Uh, the, the, the Berbers of Kabylia have participated in, in this movement as Algerians, um, setting aside the problem that they've had for quite a long time uh, about their own particular identity. Uh, it's been all generations. It hasn't simply been youth. Early press commentary talked to use the old cliches of furious youth. You know, well, actually, that's missing the target in the Algerian case. It's been men and women, and all generations. Uh, and it, people of the older people have been participating and have been advising. And a striking feature of the Friday demonstrations is that around 6 p.m., everyone goes home. Uh, when the elders say, right, that's it for the day, and they're listened to, and uh, the movement, in other words, always um, withdraws in good order, uh, and doesn't uh, overstay, uh, doesn't try to do too much uh, at any one time, and elders are, are, are listened to, and of course, uh, the women are very important in it as well. Um, okay. Um, now, the point I want to stress here is that um, this is a, a very politically responsible movement uh, and a politically ambitious movement. Um, and it's very much about uh, coming to the rescue of the state and seeing the state as properly belonging to the Algerian people. Um, and um, in particular, this is a, a sentiment that was undoubtedly provoked by the perception that as I said earlier, the Bouteflikas were treating the presidency as a kind of private family concern. There was, uh, for, at some point uh, in 2013-2014, the idea that there would be a Cuban scenario in Algeria, that uh, if Bouteflika stood down, he would be succeeded by his brother, as Fidel Castro was succeeded by Raul Castro. Uh, and I stuck my neck out back in 2014 saying this could never happen in Algeria. Uh, it would be a most un-Algerian un development, and uh, I'm um, relieved to find I'm vindicated on that, uh, that Algeria hasn't changed from what I thought it was. Um, the, uh, the point here is that we, it, um, or a key aspect of this is the way uh, this movement has been remobilizing the national revolutionary tradition. The national flag has been everywhere, as you will have seen in the images I've shown you. Uh, national heroines have been... Uh, coming out of long retirements to participate, to endorse and participate and be part of this movement. Um, and this has been putting the army commanders under an unprecedented kind of pressure. Uh, the army uh, sees itself and um, its, uh, its chief spokesman regularly reminds people that the army is the, the worthy successor, uh, the worthy heir to the National Liberation Army that fought the war against France. Um, well, the people, the civilians, have been demonstrating and, in a sense, possessing, taking their own possession of the icons and symbols and discourses of the revolutionary tradition, uh, and, in a way, tacitly challenging the army's uh, purported monopoly of that historic legitimacy. Here is war heroine Jamila Buhira um, down on the street with the people on February the 22nd. Um, she's, I believe, I, I don't want to be, be too precise, it would be rude of me, but I think she's in her 80s, and there she is looking in, in good shape and um, concerned to uh, uh, be with uh, the movement. 
And here is her comrade from the Battle of Algiers, Zora Drif, uh, and her daughter, uh, doing the same thing a week later. Um, and it's in this context that a, a number of uh, the fallout from the pressure this movement had been placing on the regime has been really quite interesting. Um, important pillars of the, of the state and of the regimes, the successive regimes that have been uh, in, in power, have actually rallied to the movement. And the first one to rally was the War Veterans Association, the, the national organization of Mujahideen, uh, which has historically been, in a way, the most, uh, arguably the most important uh, political lobby in Algeria because uh, possessing, you know, in a sense, the depository of historic revolutionary legitimacy. Um, it was very important um, 27 years ago when the generals ended interrupted the electoral process to stop the Islamic Salvation Front from getting into power. Uh, they relied on people drawn from that generation, the generation of the Mujahideen, and in particular the Secretary General of the organization of the, uh, of the Mujahideen to be, to legitimate what they were doing. Uh, and the ONM announced its support for the Hirak. In the same day, another less well-known organization, but an actually really rather important one, uh, the National Association of the Mujahideen of Arms and General Relations. These are the veterans of what was the most powerful ministry in the provisional government that the FLN set up between 58 and 62, the Ministry of Armaments and General Liaisons. And this, was, uh, this is basically the, um, the cradle and uh, first, uh, first version of the Algerian intelligence services. That's why they matter. Uh, they are the, the veterans of the Malg, uh, in Algerian Argo referred to as the, the Malgash, uh, which is a play on words, of course, since Malgash usually means someone from Madagascar, but in this case it means uh, people who served in that key ministry during the war. And they have been a, a particularly uh, influential element of the Algerian political elite, and they announced their support for the hero. Um, while the... Um, uh, the, the regime's facade parties that are not real parties, they're really uh, state apparatuses, the party of the FLN and the RND, these fell into uh, um, great uh, confusion and chaos uh, in reaction to these developments. A more, uh, an equally interesting development, in my view, concerns uh, the Union Générale des Travailleurs Algériens, the UGTA, and the Forum of the, uh, the chef d'entreprise, that's to say the main employers uh, federation. The point here is that in addition to the regular Friday drumbeat of the mainstream Hirak, there have been other things happening the rest of the time. There have been a number of specific sectoral revolts and contestations taking place. One of them was in the Employees Association. The, the FCE was, was headed by Ali Haddad. Ali Haddad, a fairly young man, uh, who was or who emerged in the later Bouddhaflika period as the regime's number one crony capitalist. Um, I, I got a picture of him somewhere. Here, here's Ali Haddad. Um, and the, he was an early victim uh, of uh, the failure of the Bouddhaflika uh, presidency to... Um, to um, extend itself uh, and his position in the FCE was undermined and he fled the country or tried to but was captured, was arrested um, on the um, Tunisian border. 
I think more important in the long term is the fronde, the rebellion, the revolt going on within the UGTA. Uh, the UGTA was a trade union established by the historic FLN in the course of the war in 1956 for nationalist purposes. It was set up by genuine trade unionists, but its purpose was to get Algerian workers out of the French unions, such as the CGT and so forth, into a specifically Algerian union. In other words, the nationalist purpose was fundamental, was foundational. And since independence, it's really been co-opted by successive governments, and it's been a transmission belt for the regime. It has not functioned as a genuinely free trade union at all, uh, even though some of its original founder members wanted it to be that and tried, but they were overruled. Um, so the fact that there's contestation developing within the UGTA is actually of considerable potential significance for the long term. Uh, it holds out the possibility, I wouldn't say more than that, that the UGTA will end up resembling its Tunisian, uh, the Tunisian UGTT, uh, which has functioned as a free trade union and played a major role as such in the Tunisian revolution eight years ago. Uh, so that has been something to watch, and in the position of the boss of the UGTA has been made, this is up the Majid City side, who's run this on behalf of the state uh, since 1997, and here you can see um, the slogans that are being used, free the union, Sidhum side, this is a play on word. <laughs> Sidi means my lord, Sidhum means their lord in effect. You're not, you don't serve us. Uh, you're, you serve the state, you serve the regime, uh, you betray that trust. Um, so that's um, two very important sideshows to the main drumbeat. But here's a third one which I think is just as important. Uh, the mobilization of Algeria's magistrates, judges, um, taking to the street for themselves in their own demonstrations, demanding uh, a state bound by law, l'état de droit, uh, the independence of the judiciary. Here they are. And this isn't all this new. It's a development of something that has been gestating for years. Uh, I, I showed you an image of the Black March in Tizuzu in, in 2001. Following that uh, very impressive march in Tizuzu, there was a demonstration in Tizuzu of judges and magistrates calling for l'état de droit. So what we're now seeing is that a theme uh, emerging at the national level. Uh, and uh, this is a difference with the situation uh, in, our, in uh, Egypt. Uh, the judges can't be relied on by the regime to uh, provide formal legal cover for repressive decisions. Um, they are... Um, um, they've got their own agenda. I'm going to skip on this point simply to uh, um, uh, get to the army because I think that we, that's what we need to address. The army has had to, got off to a bad start in this, in this drama because it was implicated in the decision that Budaflika should have a fifth term. And its, its problem has been how to recover from that initial wrong move. Um, and in, that has, hasn't been easy because there, was a, there were reasons for its implication. And the reasons, uh, um, in my view, the ones that matter most, uh, arise out of uh, genuine dilemmas. Uh, the, the his, there is a dilemma arising out of the inevitable exhaustion of historic legitimacy. President Bouteflika himself, uh, in 2000, I think it was in 2004, or no later than 2005, made a speech to the war veterans, saying a historic revolutionary legitimacy is coming to an end. 
which was simply um, um, a factually accurate statement. Uh, the generation that participated in the war of liberation was dying off and was, was bound eventually to be completely gone. Uh, and the point here is that every president of Algeria, uh, the choice of that president has been legitimated by the fact that he participated in some capacity in the war of liberation. That was true of Ben Bella, who was a founder member of the FLN. It was, of course, true of Boumediene. It was true of um, Shadli Benjdid, uh, and so on. Uh, and the point is that the, that's the first point. And uh, the th a thing that has really struck me at the time and since is that this very important observation by Bouteflika did not precipitate a national debate. It went unremarked. Well, it may not have been unremarked, but it went uncommented on. When it should have been uh, debated, what are the implications? What, is the, uh, what uh, will take the place of historic legitimacy? Uh, what will be the criteria that legitimate a future president uh, when, we're, when we're no longer able to draw on people uh, or from the revolutionary uh, generation. Uh, and I think that the fact that it went, went entirely undiscussed in civilian circles, as, uh, um, uh, there's no public discussion, meant that the army was in a sense um, bound to stay with its, uh, um, its routine. And the routine was, uh, in a sense, to keep Bouteflika as long as they could, because they weren't sure who on earth to propose to be president after Bouteflika, because the, the candidates of the revolutionary generation were no longer around. Um, there was one candidate they could have conceivably uh, had resort to, uh, Mulud Hamrush, uh, who has uh, support in the liberal intelligentsia, and was technically, briefly, a mujahid uh, towards the end of the war. They could have used historic legitimacy to legitimate the choice of Hamrush, but Hamrush is a controversial fellow, uh, and there were elements, no doubt, of the army who were disinclined uh, to bet on Hamrush. Um, and this leads me to the more immediate problem of the army's dilemmas, which is that presidential elections in Algeria are not genuine elections. Um, they, what happens is that the army decides who should be president, and then they organize a procedure whereby the people uh, express their agreement with this. That is, that is the, the system, and one can be cynical about it, or one can choose not to be cynical about it. In the old comparatively frank days of uh, the 60s and 70s, there was no pretense that this was democratic in the Western sense. There would be one candidate, uh, the, 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 there was only one party, the FLN, which would say, right, he's our candidate, he'd be presented to the people, and the people would say, no. Nah. Uh, the people would be given the chance to, to express their uh, enthusiasm for this. There was no pretense that it was democratic, but since the regime began to deck itself out with formal pluralist uh, trappings from 1989 onwards, we've had, uh, we've had presidential elections that have had an appearance of, of being genuine competitions, beginning in 1995 when three candidates in addition to the army's choice were allowed to stand, they didn't run because there wasn't a race. The army's choice was the victor from the beginning, um, President Zerowa. Uh, the point is that, uh, in effect, the procedure is that the army elects the president in secret, in a, in a, in a, in a discreet electoral college, the membership of which is known only to the members of the electoral college. 
and then this is presented to the people for them to uh, adhere to, to use the, the terminology. And the point is that that's, I think, a key reason why the army ended up implicated in the Bundesliga fifth term, and why it's had great difficulty in figuring out what to do once that scenario collapsed under the pressure of the hero. Um, the second element here is, and the point really is this, that uh, once there's no president, once with Bouteflika resigning, uh, there is a vacancy. There was a strong argument that that vacancy, that vacuum at the apex of the, pres of the uh, political and governing uh, hierarchy has to be filled as a matter of urgency. And this is the line the army's taken. Uh, we have a vacancy, we must fill it. And there are at least two different reasons uh, for that position, uh, which is being uh, contested by the hierarchy. The first reason is that there can't be, within the framework of the existing constitution, however badly treated it has been by successive governments, uh, there cannot be any elections unless there is a head of state uh, in position to summon the electorate. The electorate is summoned, convoked, by the President of the Republic. And that's uh, why when in 1992, when Shadley was persuaded to resign, I'm using the term persuade in a loose sense, um, they had to cancel the next second round of the legislative elections because there was no head of state to summon the electorate. That was a formal technical thing. But the other thing is that, the other more, if you like, fundamental reason is that power in Algeria comes from the army. Uh, and that has very considerable and very important implications. It means that the power of the presidency is a delegated power. And the power of every other civilian office holder is a power delegated from the presidency via the prime minister or chef de gouvernement, the, the ministers, wallis, and so forth. Um, so for the army, it was a matter of course that with Bouteflika out of the picture, they have to hold presidential elections. The problem is that the routine for presidential elections is one that the population uh, have become impatient with. They can see it isn't democratic that it, it, it isn't a genuine election. Uh, and, but more importantly, they're afraid that it will simply, uh, that that will be the end of any change, that um, the regime is simply uh, replacing Bouteflika with someone else uh, and is intent on stifling uh, the pressure, to, uh, resisting the pressure for, more, uh, for a genuine qualitative change in the state-society relationship and the form of government. Um, and... Um, as a result, uh, the, the popular movement has come out in opposition to Gaid Salah's uh, uh, proposal that holding presidential elections is the first priority. These have been scheduled for July the 4th, and there is a big question mark over whether they can be held. Um, the, at the same time, Gaid Salah, uh, in, in uh, saying this, has, has invoked the procedure of Article 102 that I explained earlier, dealing with what to do when a president is incapacitated. He's also invoked the very different articles of the Constitution, Article 7 and 8, uh, and Article 7 uh, says that uh, the people shall be the source of all power. That is what Article 7 says. Uh, national sovereignty shall belong exclusively to the people. And he has invoked that, um, and this is a measure of his uncertainty about the army's position, his concern not to alienate the whole of the popular movement, but he's also concerned in a way to persuade the popular movement to, to 
back off and go home. It's, uh, it's quite clear the army doesn't want the movement to continue, uh, but doesn't want to get explicitly uh, in conflict with it. Uh, the question that the people shall be the source of all powers, well, uh, that basically uh, is an article of the Constitution that has been systematically honored in the breach. In other words, it's a fraud uh, to, to most intents and purposes. Um, and yet the army feels it needs to uh, express lip service support for that article. So the army's position is, is less than fully coherent. It's, a, it's, in my view, evidence of the difficulty it is in um, and the uncertainty that surrounds it. Uh, I don't really have time to talk about the internal conflicts within the army, but that's something I'm happy to discuss if people want to raise questions about it. This is General Gaitsala. He's a soldier, uh, and uh, an experienced soldier. He spent all his life since independence uh, in the army. Uh, he's now in a very awkward position, and um, it's not clear that he has in his own extensive experience as a soldier uh, the kinds of experience that would guide him dealing with the political problems he's having to cope with now. And the same really is maybe true of the rest of the general staff, uh, which has been rejuvenated recently as a result of important reshuffles. Um, I have suggested that in the past that uh, what is needed is a compromise between the ambitions of the popular movement and the, and the army. Uh, and uh, I'm beginning to fear that a compromise won't be found. Um, so far, um, an important feature uh, of the popular movement, once the fifth term, opposition to the fifth term had succeeded, opposition to an extended fourth term had succeeded, they've then basically uh, gone on to say, we want everybody out. Uh, we want the system to go. System dégage. Um, and uh, the slogan that has been prominent in recent uh, demonstrations, I don't know whether I have, um, um, uh, yes, this is the slogan, uh, that everybody should clear off <laughs> after Bundesliga, everyone else. Well, this is, of course, uh, you can understand that it's a good mobilizing slogan. Uh, they should all clear off. But, of course, it lacks focus, it lacks precision, and the point is it risks making the mistake the Egyptians made uh, eight years ago when having got rid of Mubarak, uh, they then focused on trying to get rid of other individuals, not addressing uh, the, the crucial question of what sort of constitutional change was needed uh, for a different form, a more representative, a, more, uh, a less arbitrary form of government to be arrived at. Um, pursuing individuals because they're corrupt or... Um, uh, and so on is, is in a way a distraction uh, and th this, this means that the movement so far and, and maybe things will change today but so far has not really presented the army with uh, a vision of its own for how things should develop um, that, that can be acted on um, getting rid of everybody isn't um, a, a serious constitutional vision at all uh, and in fact, it's invited Gaid Salah to do what he has been doing, which is actually um, proposing um, um, uh, I'm getting, I'm losing my track of my, what he's been doing in recent weeks has been actually using his influence to have major figures of the regime um, 
arrested, put on charges, brought before courts, and so on, in a sense throwing big shots to the mob, uh, in a way. In a, it's a demagogic thing, but in a way it's a, it's a coherent response to a demagogic demand. Uh, what this is, in my view, is a distraction from the constitutional question uh, of how can the system uh, not be uh, got rid of so much as transformed. Um, and it's striking that the Hirak doesn't seem to have uh, an answer to this. It doesn't like Guide Salah's very minimalist roadmap, uh, as this um, front page last week says in the, the National Daily. Uh, the political class says no to Guide Salah's roadmap. Um, and the movement has been targeting the really rather inconsequential uh, figures who have been entrusted with managing matters for the time being, the interim president, Abdulkader Ben Salah, uh, the new prime minister, Nuruddin Bedoui, uh, and the president of the Constitutional Council, Tayyip Ben Aiz, uh, whose own presidency was unconstitutional, <laughs> because you can't be president of it twice, but uh, nobody seemed to think that mattered. Um, so the regime is targeting the three Bs, and Belize has gone, the other two are still there. Um, and in this context where the army clearly wants the movement to um, back off and go home, uh, it's begun to use repression. Uh, and this young man is the first uh, death as a result of that repression. You might think that's really on with all deplorable as his death is. Uh, the fact that there's only been one person killed is to Algeria's credit. It's, a, it's an index of the tremendous peacefulness and discipline of the movement and the self-control of the uh, security forces. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we're seeing the, 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 what's left of the regime resorting to repression to try to curb and limit the movement. Um, and uh, so uh, what has been, I think, fairly clearly emerging is the distance between the two points of view. Um, the army and Gaitsala are clearly banking on the movement um, losing steam, and they will be aided in that by the onset of the advent of Ramadan. We, we can expect the, the, the demonstrations to, to be smaller, less frequent, less militant. Uh, that doesn't mean to say they won't resume after Ramadan. Uh, there's a question mark o over whether it will be possible to hold the presidential election on July the 4th. My understanding is at the moment, uh, 45 uh, individuals have uh, expressed interest in being candidates. There's a complex process. You have to be a candidate uh, for the right to be a candidate. You then have to go out and collect signatures in support of a candidacy if that candidacy is going to be allowed. But uh, as I understand it, not one of the 45 is a well-known personality. In other words, they're all small beer. This is not looking promising from the army's point of view. Um, the army is insisting that uh, it needs to keep everything within the framework of the Constitution. It's really rather badly placed to insist on that, given that it went along with flagrant violations of the Constitution in the past. Um, but it has, nonetheless, an important point because if matters were to go outside the Constitution, it's not at all obvious uh, that they would remain in any way uh, an orderly affair. Um, things could become, uh, there could be a revolutionary development, but it could be uh, a disaster. Um, and I just want to end uh, with the, the, in my view, the key 
political issues that arise out of this state of affairs. Um, there is a fundamental problem in the fact that the army is the source of power. How can the army be expected to agree to cease to be the source of power? How can it agree to the presidency not having its power delegated to it by the army? Uh, but um, what, are, what, what would uh, replace the, the, the army as the source of presidential power? Uh, you, the answer is the people. But the people have not been politically organized. Um, they, they, they do not self-organize. They organize in some degree um, as civil society associations. But the fact of the matter is, as many people have observed, the political landscape in Algeria is a desert. The, two, the regime's parties are empty facades. This has been recognized for a very long time. Back in Boumediene's day, he said the FLN is an empty shell, which was true. <laughs> and the point is, the other parties are all incapable of forming of, uh, alternatives to uh, the, the government. So you have a situation where the necessary institutional intermediaries for public opinion with government do not exist. Uh, the army has ex expressed its interest. Uh, Gaisala has said that he, he's happy to dialogue. Uh, his, his own discourse sort of varies. It, it's hot and cold. Uh, at some moments there's an element of menace, and other moments he's saying, well, we're open to it, constructive ideas. But the question of dialogue raises the question, dialogue with whom? The Hirak is formally leaderless. Um, whether it is really leaderless is another matter, but it is formally leaderless. There is no one authorized to speak on its behalf. Um, so how can a, an effective dialogue get underway? Um, I would simply s suggest really to end that this is a difficult situation and I'm personally inclined to uh, feel some sympathy for both points of view. Uh, an important point that the army commanders undoubtedly have in their minds is uh, the question of national security which is an argument that can be overused but it shouldn't be dismissed. Algeria has problems on all of its frontiers has a long-standing problem with its Moroccan neighbor. It has uh, considerable security concerns on its Libyan frontier. It has had on its Tunisian frontier. They've, they've calmed down a bit because the Algerians and Tunisians cooperated against the presence of jihadi Salafis uh, on that frontier, but it, they could recur. And of course, it has very serious security concerns on its southern frontiers with Mali and Niger. Uh, Algeria is the biggest country in Africa, and it is phenomenally rich in natural resources, subsoil resources, not only oil and gas, but other resources as well. Um, these are concerns that the Hirak, of course, are not thinking about, but the army commanders are bound to be thinking about. Uh, and uh, there is, I think, in other words, good as well as less good arguments for their evidently conservative position. Um, so I'm wondering whether, since I would personally like to see a compromise, I'm wondering whether a functional compromise can, can happen because I'm not hearing either side get so far as even envisaging it at this point. Um, I, I think that it may be a matter of time, but uh, it would be good to see uh, some sort of movement in that direction sooner rather than later, after 11 weeks. Okay, let me stop there. <laughs> Well, um, thank you, Hugh, on behalf of everybody for, I think, a masterly analysis of a very complex um, set of circumstances.
and uh, a cautionary word uh, about the uncertainties uh, before um, the present crisis can be resolved. Uh, I hope, I think, that many of you might have comments or questions to address to Hugh. So I open the floor. Would anybody like? You are the first, sir. Um, uh, could you, so could you I please identify yourself? Sure. Uh, um, Tom Pepper. Um, <coughs> just interested on the external actors who could or could not play a role in Algeria. Uh, obviously, Algeria is very traditionally uh, wanted to keep foreign powers right out of its internal politics. But given what's going on in North Africa, we look at Egypt, we look at Libya at the moment, the degree of involvement of uh, regional powers, UAE, Egypt, uh, but also external the United States, the EU states. Um, question is, how, what are you, what level of engagement are you expecting? So is there going to be more support towards the army coming from, say, possibly the US under the Trump administration uh, and EU states concerned about migration? And will that impact the direction of this potential democratic transition? Um, shall I answer each question in turn? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine, fine. Well, that's a great question. Um, the my I'm a, I'm a, this is an aspect of the situation I haven't been researching very much. There's been so much going on internally. I've been focusing on that, but of course, you're absolutely right. The external parameters matter. Um, let me say uh, several things. First of all. The external power that has traditionally been most inclined to um, interfere or exert influence on internal politics in Algeria is, of course, France. And um, I, I don't know whether I got, I don't know whether I showed you an image. Um, there was one splendid image of, from the demonstration of uh, demonstrators holding up a placard saying, Allo, allo, Macron. Did you see this? <laughs> Les petits enfants de la Toussaint sont de retour. Uh, Macron, the, the grandchildren of the revolution, uh, the La Toussaint All Saints Day, the night of October the 31st, November the 1st, 1954, day one of the revolution. Um, that's a part of the resumption of the national revolutionary tradition. I think the French are very uh, are likely to be inhibited, are likely to um, try to be as discreet as possible, obviously concerned. I would expect them to be discreetly supporting Guide Salah's position. Uh, I don't think they want uh, any more turmoil in Algeria than, than can be avoided. Um, and as such, they may be in a position to restrain the impulses to interfere of other Western powers. Uh, and in any case, I don't really associate Trump's America with that impulse very much these days. I'd, I'd have thought it's, it's less inclined than its predecessors. Um, what about... Now, on that line of thinking, uh, the EU is li liable to be cautious as well, given that historically Algeria at the EU level has been France's concern, full stop. Brussels has not presumed to have thoughts of its own. Uh, it's taken its line from Paris. Uh, I assume that's still the case. It may not be, but I assume it is. Um, so far as the Gulf is concerned, of course there's ties with Gulf monarchies, there's Gulf money invested. Um, the, uh, the, there isn't the same 
uh, r rationale for interfering in the Algerian story as there was for Gulf monarchies to interfere in the Egyptian story. Um, and the reason for that is there isn't an equivalent in the Algerian context of the role of the Muslim brothers in Egypt. Uh, Algeria's Islamists um, are, are modest these days. The, 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 the days of, uh, of the Islamic Salvation Front, when it was carrying all before it, uh, they're long gone. Um, and uh, with symbolic timing, the leader, the founder of the Islamic Salvation Front died a few days ago. Um, this was seen in Algeria as being, in a way, a symbolically apt coincidence. Uh, Abbasi Madani, um, having lived out his last years in Qatar. But the, there's nothing for the Saudis or the Emiratis really to worry about uh, where Algerian Islamism is concerned. The point is, of course, they detested the Muslim Brothers because the Muslim Brothers were a political party and they themselves refused to allow any kind of political parties at home in Saudi Arabia or the Emirates. And so they detest the bad example the Muslim Brothers set. Well, none of that applies. I would expect, insofar as they seek to exert influence, the, that, that it would dovetail with the French position of support for the army's minimalist project. Um, does that cover your concerns? Uh, yes, yes, I mean, it's, it's an evolving story. Yes, it is. And, of course, if things break up, then, you know, current bets are off, new bets have to be made. Uh, it is unpredictable. Uh, publications. Okay, so uh, seems uh, to be in a, uh, a very uh, difficult position at the moment, being part of the uh, 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 camp, uh, and also wanting to satisfy the, uh, uh, the demonstrators as well, want to be with the people as well. But he's got another angle, which is probably uh, has been overlooked so far. And that's uh, his um, ongoing conflict with the uh, generals that have been uh, evicted by the by Bataflika's uh, uh, regime about two or three years ago. And uh, at the head of those was the uh, Mohammed Median. Uh, <coughs> Keep going. Yes. Yeah. So what what is in fact, he's got three fronts now that he's got to at least. Uh, deal with at the moment. <laughs> Apart from, obviously, uh, the obvious ones of the uh, frontiers and the uh, neighbors and all that. But particularly with, within the army, then you have the Bataflika camp. And then, of course, you have the demonstrators. Uh, and he finds himself in, in a dilemma, or a yeah. conundrum, in fact. And uh, is he capable, because he's not a politician, after all, is he capable of actually navigating the, the course towards a compromise between the people and the army? Um, we're talking about the last bullet point here and uh, the implications of it. So thank you for, for this, the cue you've given me. Uh, there's been ructions in the army. Uh, at various intervals in recent years, and uh, in other words, the decadence of the Bouteflika presidency uh, um, was a, became an issue within the officer corps, and it was resolved that in, well, handled in a rather um, negative way through purges and so on. Um, here, one should bear in mind that uh, a premise of um, 
Bouteflika's ability, despite being incapacitated, his ability to get a fourth term uh, was the defeat of this man, the head of the intelligence services, uh, previously seen as uh, the most powerful figure in the Algerian military for a long time. The DRS, as it was known, uh, became an empire that grew and grew during the emergency of the 90s, during the terrible violence from 92 to 2002. Um, and the, all the evidence uh, supports the thesis that uh, Medien opposed a fourth term, that the DRS said, no, this is not a good idea, he's incapacitated, we need to get someone else, we need to find someone else. And what happened was that the Bouteflika group and the regular army under Guide Salah allied to defeat the DRS. Uh, and the DRS was, um, in a sense, taken apart. Uh, the various elements of Medien's empire were dismantled, uh, they, some bits were attached to the presidency, some more to the uh, general staff under Guide Salah, and eventually uh, Medien himself was forced to uh, retire. Um, and there was a good deal of bitterness around this, and the, uh, there's a lot of needle here, if you know what I mean by needle, a lot of bitterness uh, between the militaires over this. Um, and this, unfortunately, seems to have been a factor in Guide Salah's recent calculations. Um, I argued in a, a short article that was published in the London Review of Books on the 11th of March that it was right to proceed to an early presidential election, but that this needed to be legitimated, it needed to have public opinion on board as well, and that this, this would only work given the uh, army's fixing of things if they brought back somebody who had both the respect of the officer corps and the trust of public opinion and in my view there was only one person who fitted that demanding bill and that was former president Zerwa. and um, there was a good deal of support in Algeria for this proposal I didn't invent it I was uh, I was in agreeing with Algerians who were already advocating this on February the 22nd the first big Friday of the Hirak there were huge demonstrations in Batna, Zerawal's hometown, these demonstrations converged on Zerawal's home, uh, calling on him, and he eventually came out and saluted the demonstrators, and they were cheering him. And there were articles in the Algerian press saying, the man we need to bring back is Liamin Zerawal, because he's remembered by Algerian public opinion as an honest man, a president who resigned of his own volition, didn't cling on to power, didn't line his pockets, didn't engage in nepotistic practices, uh, a man of integrity, also a former Mujahid, the kind of president they'd like to have, in fact. Um, and I thought he would be the person who could broker the compromise that, I th that I've seen as desirable, as necessary and desirable. Well, it appears the army commanders wouldn't hear of it. And this also appears to be connected with the problem between Gaid Salah and Tufik. Uh, and that really is about as far as I'm willing to go at the moment because we are now going beyond uh, um, what we have firm knowledge of. It's, uh, this is, always happens in Algeria. They come to the point where <laughs> one's field of vision stops and there's just shadows. And uh, I spend quite a lot of my time trying to peer into the shadows, but I don't believe that I actually obtain knowledge by that. Uh, so, but clearly this is an issue. And, uh, well, I could add something to this, in addition to the breakup of the DRS and, and the amount of purging that that involved and, and able people being forced into retirement and so on. Two other things have happened, and that is 
people at odds with Gaitsala have, have uh, found themselves being arrested. This began before this crisis. This began back in 2015, um, where on the one hand, a, a very senior officer close to Medien was charged with treasonable acts. Uh, another officer who was a regular army officer and retired and not part of the DRS at all, but disagreed with what was happening, spoke out, and he found himself being arrested uh, and, and imprisoned. Uh, and we, um, last summer, there was a sudden scandal. I won't go into all the ins and outs of it, but it, it involved senior, very senior generals of the regular army. We're no longer talking about DRS people. Of course, regular armies often dislike in military intelligence people. Um, military intelligence, uh, one of their functions is to be a military police. What, what honest soldier likes the military police? <laughs> um, there's, there's always tension in armies, and this, this tension was present in the Egyptian case too. Um, but the point is that, we, that regular army generals have been falling foul of Gaid Salah and have been coming to sticky ends in the sense of being not simply purged, but then accused of, of criminal behavior. Um, one of them is currently in custody, General Said Bey. Another one has skipped the country, and there's an international arrest warrant out for him. So I don't want to go, too, to go on about that too much, but it seems to me that this is certainly evidence, serious evidence, of a fraying of the understandings within the Algerian military elite. Uh, and th this, is, in, in other words, that the, the cohesion of the military wing of the Algerian elite is, is under great strain, under greater strain than ever before. This is very serious, because at the same time, while the Hirak is demanding all kinds of uh, democratic visions, a second republic and so on, this is all very abstract, the fact of the matter is that the civilian wing of the Algerian political elite is very weak. Is very weak. And, in other words, the army has a rational objection to transferring power to civilians when the civilians actually don't yet display much capacity for handling power. Now, this is a situation the army has connived at over the decades, but it's still a situation. Do you see what I'm saying? I hope that answers your question. I could we actually become the compromise temporary until the national conference takes place and uh, some leaders, political leaders, emerge from it and then uh, elections could take place. Well, I saw things like that two months ago. Um, and it, unfortunately it often happens in a revolutionary situation that a constructive idea is produced early on, rejected for reasons that aren't particularly good because of political rivalries and so on. This happened in the French Revolution. Um, and then uh, things then sort of career out of control and can't be uh, uh, retrieved. Um, and it may be that the Zerwal option can be retrieved, but this would require changes of mind in the, in the general staff. And I think that uh, Gaid Salah, I, I don't know him, I don't pretend to have insight into his position, but he's in a very awkward position. Um, I think there is a problem over the limitations on his own personal experiences and repertoire of, um, he's, he's never had to deal with anything like this before. But I think he also would have been re reluctant to bring back Zerawal because that would 
qualify his own authority. And that's a rational reluctance. It's not simply selfishness. It's a rational reluctance. So there are problems in that. So, uh, can maybe, uh, can we come back to this? What about this lady? Excuse me? Nelly Thatcher, I'm a freelance film producer. Um, I was wondering about the criminal scandal you referred to last summer, which you don't need to go into details on, but do you think that the um, the sort of cleansing of the regime that occurred after that, a few people were fired and officials were implicated in it, do you think that exposed the decadence of, of the political elite and officials that you were talking about? And do you think that that links at all the popular movement? Um, I think, okay, thank you for that question. Um, what happened last summer was uh, a scandal in the first instance um, arising over, or apparently arising out of the discovery of a vast shipment of cocaine uh, in the harbor, in the port of Oran. And this then unfolded at least the story that unfolded as it was told us in the Algerian press was that very senior figures in the Algerian military were implicated in this. I found that surprising. Um, the chief of police, who is a military man, uh, Abdul Ghani Hamel, major general, former uh, commander of the Republican Guard, was uh, implicated, at least indirectly, um, and lost his position. Um, and other uh, senior figures, three re military region commanders, all major generals, the newly appointed commander of the National Gendarmerie, they all lost their positions. Now, in my view, this wasn't... I found it difficult to believe that the, the, the cocaine story was true. Uh, and, and my assumption was this is a huge and unprecedented dust-up between militaires. And what it's about isn't clear. Um, and I don't pretend to know, but my own belief is that it, is, it was about the fifth term, that there was opposition in the high command to a fifth term, uh, and that um, the supporters of the fifth term proved better in fighting than the opponents of the fifth term. The point is that if that is correct, or whether or not it's correct, that story has really tarnished the army. Um, and I think is evidence of the, as what I said earlier, the fraying of the cohesion. Does that give you the answer you need? Yeah, that's, that's Okay. Did you want a question at the back? Yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Guy Eyre. I'm a PhD Excuse me? My name's Guy Eyre. Guy Eyre? Yeah, Eyre. Huh? <laughs> right. Um, a quick first question. Thank you for your talk. And you spoke about how obviously the protests are kind of formally needless, um, and yet at the same time you're kind of underlining the role the elders are playing in particular on the Friday protests in terms of encouraging people to work. Um, so my question is, do you see any real prospects of a kind of future leadership or a group of figures who might in some sense come to at least legitimately articulate the demands of the street? Um, there are figures, for example, there's Louisa Hanoun, who's the General Secretary of the Workers' Party. Um, there's Mustafa Bouchershi, who is also a lawyer for the rights defender. And different moments I've seen videos where these figures seem to kind of gather a kind of, I guess, some sort of um, momentary kind of legitimacy in an audience. And I just wondered if you see any kind of yeah, prospects. Thank you. That's a key question. That's a key question. Um, 
So you wanted to add? I'm just quickly add on to that. Very relatively, monthly trends in um, Algeria is fairly prevalent and powerful in certain sense, particularly in local community areas, and thinking Mohammed Ali, the cause, amongst others. Obviously, the kind of the Mahali notion of, of, of um, political authority implies that the protests are to be rejected. Um, and so, given sorry, the, I, I didn't. So the Mahali trend, uh, under Spahan, for example, Mohammed um, Ali, the in, uh, in in Algiers. I argue the protests are kind of forbidden and problematic. Given their kind of their following to some extent in Algiers and many of the urban centers of Algeria, and also the state's historical and particularly recent relationship with these Mokali trends, particularly through the, the Ministry of Religious Affairs, how do you see that playing out? Does that have any role in, in kind of the street protests? Okay. Um, there is an important problem. Um, who to dialogue with, and, and more generally, um, and that's in a sense Geitzala's problem, given that he's proposing dialogue. Um, the problem of um, the more general problem is the problem of leadership, um, with a situation where the Hirak either is leaderless or is, at any rate, its leadership, if it has one, is discreet and what wishes to remain discreet. Um, and the, the, the problem of the political personnel of the notionally opposition parties of the last 20, 30 years, 30 years, 89 to now, such as Louisa Hanna, the first woman to um, lead an Arab political party, um, the Parti des Travailleurs, a, a left-wing party of Trotskyist inspiration. Um, the... The fact of the matter is uh, that, that this political personnel is m largely discredited, I would say. Now, of course, discredit can prove temporary. People can, in a sense, you know, um, buy themselves back, as the Algerians would say, sur um, But I am not really expecting that to happen where she's concerned. I don't think she's a very plausible um, interlocutor. Uh, she would have a role, her party, what... Uh, such as it is, would have a role in a broader process uh, such as the convening of a constituent assembly. But in my view, the constituent assembly idea that has, of course, some support on the Western liberal democratic and, lef and leftist uh, end of the political spectrum, uh, the great problem with it is who is to convene it? Who has the authority to convene it? And who has the authority to determine its composition? These are huge problems. Uh, they're kind of catch-22 problems, uh, given where Algeria is starting from, a political desert, virtually. Um, uh, Bouchashi, I think, is uh, in a different... Bush, Mustafa Bouchashi, uh, former president of the Algerian League for the Defense of Human Rights, has got a very solid reputation as a human rights activist and lawyer. He has briefly been a member of the parliament, uh, standing on the ticket of the... Um, the uh, FFS party, which uh, I've written about in this uh, uh, LSE uh, paper, a rather critical view of the FFS, I may say, and not, a, not a, an enchanted one. Um, he's a credible figure, and he is running into bans. Uh, the, the, the authorities, one can't really talk of a regime any longer, but one can still talk about the authorities in a de facto sense, are preventing him from speaking. He was prevented from speaking in Bleeder a couple of weeks ago, he was prevented from speaking uh, at um, um, a meeting that was scheduled and had initially secured the official agreement in Oran uh, two or three days ago, or was it yesterday? I'm not sure. Anyway, um, very recently. 
Now, um, I think he does have a role, and I think that the army commanders know this. But I don't think one, should, uh, one shouldn't exaggerate his authority over the movement. I don't think he's, he's not behind the movement. I don't think he's one of the leaders of it. I think he's one of the most plausible people addressing the situation the movement has created. Um, the question, but the, in a way a more fundamental question is, does the movement actually have leaders? Um, and can it sustain itself? Um, uh, as for the Madhali, your point about the, this very conservative brand of Islamic doctrine and so on, of course the army in seeking to sustain its uh, minimalist project is bound eventually to want to mobilize support of the most conservative elements in the society. Um, the call for dialogue by Guide Sala has been provisionally uh, responded to by a range of people. These are not from the radical democratic end of the spectrum at all. Uh, they include uh, Bushashi. Bushashi is playing a kind of, he's seeking, as I understand it, um, to find the sort of golden mean, the, 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 the path of reasonableness in this situation, which is, of course, what he should be doing. Um, the, uh, some of the um, Islamist politicians are tending to veer towards Ben Salah's position in the sense of responding to his calls for dialogue. But um, this is early days in that respect. Um, sorry, this uh, front row. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for this fantastic presentation and for coming to London to, to speak with us and to share your, your reflections. Uh, my name is Jessica Northy. I'm from Coventry University. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about, about associations, of course, and about young people. And firstly, some of the, the proposals or the ideas that have come out, not of individual associations, but networks of associations, and I agree with you, I know that there's a weakness within civil society and there's all sorts of challenges, but there have been proposals that are widely shared on social media from say, numbers, 15 or 20 associations that have come together, that have discussed, that have put in kind of concrete proposals for timelines for a constituent assembly, um, obviously, there's no leader not proposing who would lead that, but respected figures. Um, and putting that out in the public domain and signing it with people's personal names, yeah. putting their names on there, I mean, quite... Um, and I wonder what you feel about the significance or the usefulness or the importance of whether they really are still too weak. And my, so my second question was about young people. And my last trip to Algeria, I was just bowled over like, in the end of 2018 by the quality of the debates, by the political engagement, by very critical. Uh, I was in acad academic, I was in a full fact universities across Algeria from Jidal to Medea to Schlepp. And it was they perfect English for one, I mean they just, all of the, the discussions we had were in English, not in French, and um, uh, the, obviously uh, in Arabic as well, but they were speaking with me in English because their English was miles better than any other language I speak. And uh, just this intelligence, this, uh, you say that perhaps there's no political leaders or there's a desert now, but, I mean, in a few years' time, all of these sure. such sure. amazingly trained sure. um, young people sure. who are so politically engaged now, what, what implications do you think that has as well for, for the next generation of politicians in Algeria? Thank you very much for that question. And uh, thank you for coming to the defense of the younger generation and stressing uh, their virtues, because they are extraordinary virtues. And I, I, this didn't come across enough. 
uh, from my talk, so thank you for that. Um, they, uh, let me just say yet something more. I first went to Algeria a very, very long time ago, and my second trip I went there to teach, to teach English. I don't take credit for the fact they all speak good English, but I did my bit. Um, and I was struck, very struck from the beginning, that Algerians had a thirst for knowledge, a, 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 a determination to learn. Um, and uh, it's clear, I mean, I, I, I leapt over a bit of my presentation, that the, 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 the Hirak represents the Algerian crowd at the top of a learning curve. Extraordinary. They've learned so much, and they're continuing to learn. Uh, and um, uh, so I endorse all, all you were saying there. Your question. Let me just make one other point. Um, when I was um, thinking about the issue and writing something about the issue of, of, of a, a perspective for political reform in Algeria, this is actually the last chapter of my book, Algérie Kabylie, um, I argued that there has to be a new elite that the, the, the Algerian national elite, um, it's done its time, it's, it's had its day. Uh, the, 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 as we know it, the elite as we know it is basically exhausted. Uh, a new elite needs to emerge. Uh, of course, it will emerge in a complex relationship with the old elite, but it has to be a new generation forged by new experiences. And I think that that, that is what is now happening um, and will bear fruit in a few years. The, the great problem... Uh, impeding uh, that from bearing fruit more quickly is the problem of institutions. Uh, and your work, you've you demonstrated that civil, that civil society associations have been emerging with considerable developing institutional capacity. Um, with, but it seems to me, as if I recall your book, it was partly premised on their having modest objectives that were non-confrontational with the regime. Uh, there was there, that involved negotiation, but not um, zero-sum game conflict. And there is a problem about a zero-sum game conflict installing itself in, in the here and now at the national level. Uh, and there is uh, at that level there is no tradition of negotiation. <coughs> and this is the problem of the army being in the in the front line and calling the shots. Um, and because armies don't really negotiate except with other armies. Uh, in my, uh, and uh, they, they are not, their own sort of culture, their own outlook does not predispose them to negotiate with civilians. Um, and this is the tragedy of Egypt eight years ago, that the demonstrators refused to negotiate with uh, Mubarak when he was offering negotiations and trusted the army when that turned out not to be a very good idea. Um, I think that the, um, the, uh, what needs to happen is some in, uh, inventiveness at the level of civil society and the Hirak in respect of institutions. Can it now, having shown tactical flair and creativity uh, in numerous ways, can it now actually begin to uh, show creativity in the matter of institution building? Any lady in the yellow jacket? Hi, uh, my name is Islata Khadija. Could you speak up? Um, my name is Islata Khadija. I'm an Algerian student. I'm studying at the University of London, uh, politics. 
So I would like to share with you your thoughts and uh, thank you for your talk first. And um, I would like to just, uh, we may expect, for example, to share our expectations of what's going to happen and what Algeria is going through. After this uh, um, this demonstration, demonstration, big demonstration, or maybe the biggest demonstration that have, uh, that have uh, ever uh, happened in, in, the, in the world history. And uh, so as you may know, today is Friday, is uh, the 11th week yes. of the Iraq, which is uh, great. And, and the, on the, I think Algerian people, they will stick with it and they will not go back uh, uh, after what has been achieved, even though, or however, is that the, the substantial uh, goal or the demand uh, is not touching as people they want what they want but clear uh, all of the members of the government not only changing uh, some of them or replacing some of them so i would like to uh, my question is uh, as um, the, the the military has been uh, involved in choosing the temporary presidential consulate for 90 days until the, the, ele the, ele the expecting elections in the 4th of uh, July, uh, July. So uh, what, uh, to what extent is it <coughs> that the people asking to, to, uh, for the application of the 7th, 7th and uh, eight, uh, the, the Article 8 and 7 of the Constitution while they, the, the, the article of 102 has been applied. And my question, uh, the second question is, um, what if the, the people boycott the elections on the 4th of, uh, of, uh, of July? What's going to happen? And is, is there any hope that uh, will be, that, mm, because uh, the, the whole Algerian mm, uh, people, they are very peaceful. They are they showing their best to the whole world, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it as a part of the, my, my society or my country. So, uh, and we would, we would never hope to see something like with the violence or something like this. So, um, I, what I'm trying to say is um, the people now, they, are, they don't like to, to, to see their efforts that have been done so far is go through a very ambiguous um, outcome in the future. Um, let me suggest that we should make a distinction between two things that are yet to be properly distinguished, it seems to me, uh, in the discussion in Algeria. Uh, at least the discussion which I have access to through the media. And I'd, um, I'd love to be able to do what Jessica did recently and go and be present and listen to debates. Um, there's, in my view, a distinction between the demand that targets people because they're regarded as corrupt, uh, and so on, you know, all this, and the demand that there should be a qualitative change in the, in the state-society relationship and the form of government. The, the, f the first demand is a demand that Islamists were making. It's the demand, f uh, it's, it's defining the problem as the presence of bad Muslims in power, in effect. And it's saying, we need to purify it. And that's all. Otherwise, the structure's fine. It's just that there's people who are verreux, who are corrompus, etc., etc. This is actually a very conservative position. It sounds radical, let them all clear off. But actually, it's not focusing on the question of changing the constitutional uh, foundation of political life. 
It's completely evacuating that. And that's why Gaid Salah is happy to respond by saying, fine, you want some of them to clear off. Uh, this guy's under arrest, that guy's under arrest. They're all going to, they're up in court. You know, what more do you want? He's responding to what the crowd are demanding. They may be dissatisfied with his response, but he is responding to what they're demanding. Um, so I, I can't help thinking that the, a problem at the level of ideas is the problem of envisaging the qualitative change uh, in the structure of institutions in Algeria, the, in the structure in the, uh, of, of the former government. And I'm, I'm waiting for the HERAC to do that. Um, the, you asked me to... This seems to be reinforcing Bill's demand that I predict things, <laughs> which I refuse to do. Um, ex Africa, semper aliquid novi. Uh, there's always something surprising coming out of Africa, and Algeria above all, which is, after all, the largest country in Africa. Um, but um, um, I would... I think that um, at the moment things are finely balanced. Uh, there is a possibility that the Hirak will... Uh, lose steam, particularly with Ramadan coming to the army's aid. Um, if that happens, I would certainly not rule out a resumption of the Hirak later. Um, if the army succeeds in driving through the presidential election, um, it looks at present as if whoever is elected will not be someone of great weight or standing or authority. Uh, and one of the things I am uh, thinking is very much on the cards is, in fact, a, a kind of a diminution in the authority of the presidency. The, um, there has been, um, arguably, the, there has been a problem in the presidential government in Algeria ever since the death of Boumediene. Boumediene was a strong president because he... Uh, he brought his power with him. He was, he was the boss of the army. He created the unity of the army. He created the general staff. He was the architect of the unity of the army. He was the architect, therefore, of the military power that was the source of political power. He took it all with him. And after 13 years or so, the rest of the army couldn't stand it any longer. Um, God intervened to take Bumi then back at that moment, but the fact is there was clearly a determination there should never be an, a, another Bumadien. And there's been a tendency, therefore, for the system to be a very oligarchical one, with the president being no more than primus inter pares. Um, and I think you've got to the point where um, the, the presidential character of the regime may be in question. But what's so striking is nobody, uh, with the exception of one or two rather unrepresentative journalists, is making an issue of the role of parliament. And yet... An Alger a sovereign Algerian parliament was a cree demand of the nationalist movement before 1954. And it seems to have been forgotten. For all the resumption of the icons of the revolution, who's remembering that? So, um, there seem to be lacunae in the, in the, which remain to be filled, and maybe all the energy energetic debaters will <laughs> get around to fulfilling it. Um, I, I think that the army is bound to be very hesitant about using la manière forte. Um, I think that there must be people around Guide Sala saying we must try hard to avoid that. Um, at the on, uh, on the other hand, they're going to do everything short of that to try to get Jack 
back into his box. But so I think Jack won't stay in the box. So <laughs> we've time for, I think, one or two more questions. So would you like to? Yeah. Hi, it's uh, Adam Aspin from the Foreign Office. Excuse me? Uh, Adam Aspin from the Foreign Office. Oh. Uh, I just had a few questions about the uh, potential economic aspects of the, the protest. Uh, just wondering if you could say if, if there's any potential uh, living standards or underlying uh, reasons which might be influencing uh, the protests on the one hand, but also uh, the economic implications of the protests, whether there's uh, any risks of uh, general strike or uh, any risks to oil production. Right, okay. Um, the protests have clearly been very political, but of course there are the uh, there are socio-economic factors underlying political unrest, um, and um, I think that the what are the main ones? Uh, I would argue that uh, the the regime is perceived certainly amongst those uh, critics of the regime's economic policy. I'm talking about Algerian critics. Uh, the great failure of the Bouteflika presidency was that it completely failed to address the structural problem of the Algerian economy, namely its excessive dependence on hydrocarbons uh, exports. Um, when it had the leisure to do it, I mean, it, it had a, a sort of halcyon period uh, when it could have um, done something about the need to diversify seriously away from hydrocarbons, and it didn't take it. And um, that is certainly one major criticism. Uh, at the level of uh, elite uh, that enters into elite alienation. But you're thinking, I think, more likely of popular alienation and therefore the, um, the concerns of young people with no futures, of course, uh, that leading to the Haraga phenomenon, the young people trying to cross the Mediterranean and drowning in the attempt because they see absolutely no future for themselves in Algeria. And what's interesting is that the Bouteflika presidency, when it was confronted with the anger of that element of the population in the uh, week of riots in January 2011, its response was to throw money at it uh, in a rather cynical way when uh, that wasn't what young people most needed. I mean, it, the response was, here's some money, start your own business. Uh, here's some easy credits, start your own little, um, uh, your little boutique or whatever. Uh, and there was uh, an element of the younger generation who were furious about this, saying, we don't want this, we want employment, we want jobs. And I think that this is where we are bumping up against one of the key limitations of the regime in, in place since 62. It has not wanted, uh, since at any rate, since the, uh, the, the end of the Boumediene era, it has not wanted to promote the development of, a, of an, um, a stable, employed working class. Uh, and it has relied on foreign labor to a remarkable extent. Um, the mosque that is being built relied on Chinese labor. Uh, can you imagine importing thousands of Chinese workers to build a mosque? Um, I think that... Uh, so that's clearly a, a, an important underlying theme. Uh, and, of course, the uh, oil price has gone down. It's been going back up again in the last week or two, I believe. But um, I'm not sure what else you're thinking of, unless it's also the, the, the discontent within 
the entrepreneurial element of the elite because, of course, crony capitalism means there's always some capitalists who are out rather than in. Um, and the regime is, of course, it's playing favorites. It's not promoting. It's, it's a regime that has been systematically incapable of promoting uh, dynamic economic development. Um, so to what extent that explains uh, popular attitudes is, is debatable but it's undoubtedly a factor in the overall situation. That's how I would approach it. Are you thinking of something else? Okay. Um, on the question of implications, well, clearly uh, Algeria is going through a lot of unrest, and this is uh, affecting uh, potential international partners. Um, the head of Sonotrack has just been sacked, Ulkadur, uh, and that is liable to, um, if not certain, certainly liable to... Um, uh, depress the interests of foreign partners to make them less reluctant to, co to sign agreements to enter into contractual arrangements for the time being. So I think we've got a situation where the government is only able to deal with current affairs. It's not able to take significant choices. There's an element of paralysis, therefore, in the functioning of the, of the government. Uh, and this could grow. Of course, if it grows to the extent of affecting ordinary people, then that will be um, something held against the Hirak. Um, and, of course, there are, there are measures that um, can be taken to aggravate people's discontent with unrest. And they were taken in Egypt by the generals. One could imagine sir, certain other things of that kind being resorted to in Algeria to try to stir up hostility to the demonstrators um, on the grounds that, you know, economic life is, is coming to a halt and people can't endure it indefinitely. The, such things are, in, are, on the, are on the cards. Uh, but I think the main thing from the point of view of the longer term is that you do not have an effective government now that can take strategic decisions about the economy at all. All it can do is just manage the current affairs, and that's a big limitation. Any other? Oh, sorry. One more over here? Yes. Hi. Oh. Uh, my name is Anna Kusif, and I'm uh, freelance consultant. You talked about the effects that there was a tension between different parts of the army on supporting a fifth term to protect uh, them. Why these guys were fighting for a uh, figurehead position? And uh, uh, if there was opposition from some people to the fifth term, who these guys were trying to promote to become the president? And whether you think that person will have any chance now to become the president and the leader of the country? Well, first of all, all this is, is um, shrouded in mystery. Let's not pretend uh, to see, be able to see very clearly. Uh, I have a, a, a very provisional reading, which uh, is not something I have uh, an inappropriate degree of confidence in, but it's consistent with the evidence as I'm aware of it. Uh, the, 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 the thesis that I have been aware of is that um, the people who uh, were purged uh, had decided that Bouteflika could not have a fifth term. They wanted to preserve as much of the status quo as they could, and their candidate for the fifth term was the chief of police, uh, Abdulhani Hamel. Uh, as someone who was close to Bouteflika, uh, was on, or had been at any rate, on confident terms with Bouteflika's family and entourage and so on, in other words, who would preserve 
um, quite a lot of the Budaflika system and the interests of the Budaflika family while getting out of this very awkward problem that Budaflika himself was completely incapacitated. And that for some reason that was opposed by other elements of the army and led to um, a faction fight which they lost. That's my understanding. I don't know, have you heard different? No, I, I'm just asking the question. Well, I don't pretend to know. I, I, and I, I know what I know, and I know where that stops and where the limits are. That's um, simply a, a hypothesis at this point. Okay? I hope you're noting that. <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, um, one should not pretend to know what one doesn't know. This is simply a, a temporary provisional hypothesis. But in Algeria, most things are provisional. Algeria had its first provisional government in 1958, and every government since then has been provisional as well, if you think about it. Um, anyway, that's my answer to you. There was a lady here who wanted to ask a question. Did you not? Oh, I can do it. Uh, yeah. so, uh, as you like. Um, I who are you? Um, sorry, okay. I'm Victoria Araj from the Carnegie Middle East Centre. Um, so... You've explained a lot about the elite divisions in the army um, and amongst like, the security forces, but I was wondering how much uh, Saleh has actual support and loyalty from the rank and file for his minimalist project, and if there was any evidence for elite divisions or decisions having an effect on the loyalty of the rank. Um, I'm not aware of any evidence re re relevant to that specific question, um, either way. And I would assume that in uh, the Algerian army, at this stage uh, in Algeria's collective national social uh, development, the rank and file uh, can be relied on to be uh, disciplined, to obey orders and to be loyal. Uh, except in uh, the one circumstance that obtained years ago where a major assault is being conducted on the regime in the name of Islam and we found um, in a significant number of desertions from the army elements of insubordination, desertions and so on uh, as there had been desertions of Algerians from the French army during the, the War of Liberation um, where, in other words, there was an, a particularly an unusually powerful appeal to the loyalties of the rank and file that overrode their conditioned obedience to their, their, their officers. I don't see any reason for Geitzahler and Co. to fear that, as things stand at present. But it's a question that, that, that actually is, is worth bearing in mind. If things go very badly wrong, and, and if a premature and ham-fisted resort to really violent repression is engaged in, then, of course, the question of the rank and file loyalties becomes, becomes moot. Um, the, uh, was that all of your question? Was there anything else? Um, I think that, that um, okay, uh, I, I'm suspecting that Guide Salah um, he, his head wears a crown and I think his head is uneasy I think, he, I think he is unsure of his position with some reason uh, and that actually could be a negative factor if he was more confident in his position he might be more able to envisage to, to be flexible in, in, in envisaging uh, 
constructive responses to the uh, to the protesters. Um, if no one else has a question, then our friend here has a second. Oh, question. Ali, you want to not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a prominent uh, and respected uh, diplomat in Algeria, Nahdar Ibrahim. Can he serve as a uh, somebody who can be president temporarily until a president emerges through the ballot? Um, why not? I mean, I, it's not my call. <laughs> I don't have favourites. Um, no, he's been, he's been he was mooted. And he's very respected by the Algerians and even internationally. Let me, uh, give, let me answer your question. No, I think you're wrong. <laughs> what? Why not anymore? I don't think he's respected by Algerians. Okay, well, I'm leaving it to the Algerians to take over at this point. I haven't been following the events now. Okay. Um, okay. I, I saw him actually on television recently, probably was pushed. Can, can I just briefly answer? Uh, I, I know Lakhdar Rahimi. Uh, I, I mentioned his name in my article as, as someone who might have a role to play. Uh, it, it would appear that the Budaflika group wanted to him to have the role of, of in a sense, uh, coordinating a national conference to discuss reform. He was available for that, but he got a frosty reception in Algeria. Uh, and the main reason for that is he's perceived as far too close to the Budaflikas. Um, that was seen as disabling him. Whether it should have been seen as disabling is another matter, but it was seen as disabling. I suspect for good. Can I just add something? I think the main reason for the youth, he came out on TV saying, I just spoken to him and he's, men you know, he's mentally 100% fine, and everybody would excuse us and not <laughs> with you anymore. This is one simple thing. That's very helpful, yes. I mean, it, it, Bill, can I just mention here, a key issue in how things proceed is whether people, uh, is the issue of trust, the issue of confidence. Who can the Algerians have confidence in? This is a constant theme in Algeria. On, on, peut, on peut lui faire confiance. You know, this was what was said about Zerouar. On lui fait confiance. You... The problem with Gaid Salah is the people that he is liable, that he's putting forward uh, in uh, such as Ben Salah, uh, whom he couldn't avoid putting forward, at least initially, but also Bedoui and, and so on. These are people who public opinion doesn't trust. And uh, as Zineb said, this, this turned out to be true also of Lachta Brahimi. Uh, and I think that this is a, a, a sort of a problem of Gaid Salah's position and the army commander's position. Um, how can you have a fruitful dialogue without um, credible interlocutors on both ends? That requires trust, and the trust is in very short supply, and that is a crucial difficulty. Well, I think we've reached uh, our time. On behalf of everybody, I'd like to thank you for what has been a most impressive and persuasive and convincing analysis um, of what's going on now in Algeria and um, a most impressive grasp of uh, a complex and fast-moving political and social situation which we'll all watch with fascination as it unfolds over the next few weeks and months. In the course of which the Algerians will prove me wrong, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and I we'll to that. I'm sure they will. Um, Thank you very much, Hugh. Thank you. Thank you.